Welcome and thank you for joining this week's podcast with the Archbishop Nicholas Duncan Williams. In this engaging sermon message, the Archbishop reveals the life-changing breakthroughs experienced by nations and people through effectively activating the secret weapon of prayer and fasting. Discover deeper tools of prayer at this year's Global Prayer Summit on the 13th to the 16th of July in Maryland. Register now at ndwministries.org. Know today that this is God's word of revelation for you. Be empowered as you listen. The secret weapon. The secret weapon. What is this secret weapon? Come with me to the book of Mark, the ninth chapter and the 29th verse. The secret weapon. And he said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. It's the word fasting. That is the secret weapon. Jesus said this kind can come forth by nothing. Underline the word nothing. It means that no effort of yours outside of fasting can turn certain circumstances and situations around. And as we go along, you will see how this particular weapon has been deployed over the years, centuries, dispensations, and years. And it has always worked, even for unbelievers who deployed it because of the power of it and how God set it up for the benefit of humanity that there come a time in all of our lives where we are confronted with circumstances and situations we can't make sense of. Because most of these things are controlled by demon spirit. The Bible says in Ephesians 6.12 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. But against principalities and against powers. Against the rulers of darkness of this world and against spiritual wickedness in high places. Another translation says in heavenly places. And so it's very important for you to understand that your warfare and my warfare is not with flesh and blood. I was talking to one of my sons the other day and I said, we have to be very careful about how we react because God does not react. And that most times, a lot of things in the natural that we can't make sense of is controlled by the supernatural. That the enemy will use your loved ones. He will use your wife, your husband, your children, your father, anybody to trigger you, to provoke you, to vex you, to, to stir you up. And you see it as we go along in the scriptures to err. He does things to make you err. And I have erred in many ways in ministry <clears throat> by being provoked, certain statements and things that shouldn't have been made, was made at the time of vexation or provocation. But at the time when you were vexed or triggered, you, you didn't even know that you are being provoked and that it was a setup and a snare and that the enemy wanted you to stumble in words or to err in words or in your thoughts. He has ways of getting at every one of us. He knows the areas to trigger us, our trigger points. And that is what you call familiar spirit. They, they are familiar with the weaknesses and the strength of our DNA. And they will come at you at a particular time in your life to get at you so you can err, to give them a weapon to fight you in the day of your elevation and at your kairos moment to bring up something to discredit you or to implicate you. He's very good at that. He's a long-term planner. The serpent in the Garden of Eden that was not killed and dealt with became a dragon in the book of Revelation. So whatever we don't deal with today will grow and become stronger tomorrow. You see, when a child is growing up, the bones of the, ki of the child is not strong like when you become an adult. As you grow, everything about you grows and becomes stronger. And if you don't exercise, you become stiffer and stiffer as the years go by. So um, my coach is sitting here. We haven't exercised for some time now. So uh, I know she's going to come at me and say, what's going on, Papa? Don't worry. I'm, I'm going to get it right. So anyway, it's a secret weapon that... I believe that when we were all got saved and got born again, it was something we practiced and did. 
every now and then. And may I submit to you that as a believer, you cannot eat seven days in a week throughout the year. It, it, you'll get into a lot of problems. You'll get into some serious trouble if you're a believer and you are eating seven days in a week. You don't take a day to fast in the week. You eat every day. Something is wrong. Something is really wrong. As a believer, I encourage you to take a day in a week as your day of atonement when you come before God to plead for forgiveness and cleansings and you come before God and intercede, not just for yourself, but for your family, your loved ones, your church and your country, your nation, that the waters of your nation will be still. For he leadeth me beside the still waters. And so when we fast, it's not just about you and I, but it's also for the benefit of others. See, I hear you. But Jesus categorically said that there are certain situations that you can never turn it around or change it except by fasting and prayers. Nothing else, no amount of prayer, no amount of praise and worship can turn it around unless you add fasting to it. Because fasting has a way of amplifying and strengthening your faith to be able to confront some things. And he said if you add fasting to your prayers, as a way of life, as a lifestyle, as a practice you do with an understanding and clarity. Because you see, you can do it without the understanding and clarity and having faith in what you are doing. It, it will not work for you. You must have faith in it. You must have understanding of what you are doing. You must be very clear and very deliberate that once a week I come before the Lord, apart from the general fast of the church that is proclaimed every now and then, first week of every month, I myself have put aside a day in a week that I abstain from food and I spend time in the presence of Almighty God and seek God and pray for his intervention. Come with me to Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. If I shut up the heavens that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. So that word, if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves, that word humble themselves stands for fasting. That word humble is for fasting. And if you look at the pestilence, and the famines across many nations in Africa, it's very clear that something is very wrong. Now, God said, if I shut the heavens, and if I bring judgment or pestilence to the land, and you fast, that means you humble yourself. One of the ways we humble ourselves is fasting. It's, it's a weapon, and it's a way, and a pattern, and a protocol that God has put in place. Uh, over the years and the generation, and the Jewish people have respected the day of atonement, which is the day to humble themselves, afflict themselves, and fast and pray. For 3,500 years, they call it Yom Kippur. And they've honored it, kept it all these years and the generation. Now, I want you to understand something here that this is one of the ways that you and I can humble ourselves before Almighty God and to say, God, you bless me. You favored me. Favored me. You've given me access, connections, and influence, but I still need you. That irrespective of where I stand in society and who I am and the favors and the access you've given me, I still need you. Lord, I need you. God wants you and I to recognize our need of him. That it doesn't matter how blessed we become, that we still need him. And that he is the source of power, connection, favor, deep pocket, whatever it is that you are and you ever be, God wants you and I to acknowledge the fact that he is our source and nothing else. And that we need him no matter what. We always need him. And at a time of fasting, it's a time where we proclaim our need of Almighty God and seek him for his intervention to deal with things that only God can address. And may I submit to you that when it comes to things that are spiritually motivated, things that are controlled by unseen forces, there are things in this world. There was a madman in Kumasi, and in the afternoon, he was carrying 
this lamb in the afternoon carrying a lamb and somebody said what is wrong with you why are you carrying lamb in the afternoon and he said if you see what i see you will put on the street light there are things in this world though there are things in life i'm telling you i've seen a lot i began ministering at the age of 20 and i've been preaching for 45 years and i've seen a lot how the enemy plays he's very good at what he does but thank god we are not ignorant of his devices amen and he said if i shut the heavens if i bring judgment and plague and pestilence on the land if my people which are called by my name will fast and pray and turn from their wicked ways deploy the weapon of humility and declare their need of me almighty god the creator of the heavens and the earth i will step into the equation and i will turn things around but i require of my people he didn't say if the politicians he didn't say if the unbelievers, he said if my people, which are called by my names. He didn't say if we criticize and we fight. He said if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves. Today, may we, as never before, begin to humble ourselves. May we deploy this secret weapon of fasting again, as never before. Every religion in this world, fast. And if you're online, some of you have some questions on your mind, please send it. And we'll try uh, to the best of our ability to help you with some answers. But I've seen unbelievers fast. One time a guy was traveling and he was sitting in a plane with someone next to him. And throughout a flight, this individual will not eat. He won't eat nor even drink. And after many hours in the flight, this believer thought that this individual was a Christian. So he said, praise the Lord. And the guy said, praise Satan. And he said, but I see you are fasting. You haven't eaten through. And he said, yes, I'm fasting to Satan against Christians. That is a, a subject we have to tackle very, very wisely and skillfully because it's a contradiction here. But he recognized that something happened when you abstain from food and you fast. It's like when you sow a seed into the ground. Whether you are a believer and unbeliever, when it rains, it will water the seed. And whether you are a believer and unbeliever, if you have a seed on the ground, it will germinate. It, it's a law that God has put in place. And this secret weapon called fasting is a very, very powerful weapon. And it works for believers and it works for unbelievers. And that is what it is. And you can only find out as time goes on, you begin to realize that it is deployed by so many uh, people and it works. Uh, let's go ahead. Come with me to Psalm 35 and the 13 verse. Psalm 35 and 13. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. Mm -hmm. I humbled my soul with fasting. You see, I what? Humble my soul with fasting. fasting. So fasting is one of the weapons and the ways that God has designed that you and I can handle our soul because the soul is very, very proud, very proud and very, very, very arrogant. And through fasting, we bow our soul before God. We humble ourselves and we afflict ourselves. And we seek him for forgiveness and cleansing. And it is at, at that moment that the supernatural takes place. Because, you see, if you look at somebody like Jonah, Jonah was in the boat and there was a storm. And the captain had followed all the signs. He knew what to do. He was experienced. He was very skillful. And ha having done everything... He knows how to. The storm was getting worse and worse. Until Jonah said, he was the cause for the storm. And he said, get me out of the boat. And as soon as they threw him off the boat, there was calm. And everything was still. Now, there come a time when signs fails. There come a time when money and influence and connection and all a man or a woman knows how to fails when every physical, intellectual, and natural avenues and resources is exalted and when nothing works. It is at that moment that men and women must be humble enough to realize that there is a possibility that there is something beyond what the eyes can see responsible for what's happening. Something is going on behind the scenes 
And as, again, like I said, you cannot solve a spiritual problem with physical capabilities. It won't work. It won't work. But you can solve physical situation that has its origin from the spirit world with spiritual solutions and with spiritual weapons. The other day, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, from verse 2 going, he said, though we walk in the flesh, though we are but men like anyone else, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Mighty weapons through Adonai. Mighty weapons through God to the pulling down of strongholds and bringing into captivity every thought and every imagination to the obedience of Christ. That is what I'm talking about. And when we fast, in moments and in times of crisis and challenges, the forces responsible for a lot of the things going on in the natural, we gain the upper hand over them at a time when we humble ourselves before Almighty God and say, we have no strength of our own. This is beyond our natural and intellectual capabilities. I need you, Lord. It is at that moment that strength comes from on high and we are able to subject and bring into captivity everything that exalted itself above the knowledge of God. I submit to you today, deploy this secret weapon with clarity, with understanding. Be very deliberate about it. It is not a ritual, but it's something that is required of you and I that if we do it and do it properly and we do it well, we'll always see results and then turn around. See, I hear you. Matthew chapter 4 verse 2. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungry. So this is Jesus, the Son of God, himself. God in the flesh. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And after his fast, he was hungry. He was hungry. The Bible didn't say he was testy. He was hungry, not testy. Which stands to reason logically that he drank water. So it's very, very important that when you are fasting, you must drink water so you don't get dehydrated. You must drink water to flush things out of your system. Now, you can also fast without water, but most times fasting without water is an, is an act of supernatural empowerment. And it's not always that way. So you be very, very careful that you don't say, I'm going to drive fast, I'm not going to drink water. You don't have to go that far. Fasting simply has to do with abstaining from food for spiritual purposes to give your undivided attention to God. And so please keep that in mind. Let's go ahead. Matthew 18, 4. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So again, you see that through fasting, we humble ourselves and humility does a lot and goes goes far when where God is concerned whenever we humble ourselves and realize our limitations as human that is what provokes God to act on our behalf Ezra 8 21 to 23 then I proclaim the fast there at the river of Ahava look at it again I proclaim a fast so the new King James says that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him the right way for us. Underline the word, the right way. He was asking for clarity and direction. Now look at it. To seek from him the right way for us and our little ones. You see, for us and our little ones. So it wasn't just about the parents. It wasn't just about him, but for our little ones. So we can fast, pray, intercede, stand in the gap for others, for our children, our wife, our husbands, our loved ones, our friends and family. We can stand in the gap through fasting for country, for the nation that God has given unto us, for the good of country, for love of country. We can fast, abstain from food, stand in the gap to pray for the healing of our economy, for the recovery of our economy. You see, let me tell you something. You can effectively intercede for people you hate and you don't like. And I learned that long time ago 
where I had an issue with a particular president of this country. And I was praying a lot for the country, but I wasn't praying for him. And the Lord said to me, what is wrong with you? You are praying for the aircraft, but you are not praying for the captain that is flying the aircraft. And he said, the reason why I'm not praying for him is because you have an issue with him. So cleanse your heart. And God made me to understand that you cannot pray for people you hate. The love of God is shed abroad in our heart. So let's take away the bitterness. Let's take away the hatred in our heart. And I tell you, if you remove the hatred in your heart and you pray for them out of love, God will fix the situation. God will fix the relationship. And as the years went by, that particular president and I became very good friends. For many years, we became friends because I had to let God deal with my heart and take away that bitterness out of my heart. You know, Nelson Mandela said something when he was asked to go home after being in prison for 27 years. He said, I realize, I realize that as I stand at the door to my freedom, if I don't let go my bitterness, my hatred, and my unforgiveness, I will walk through this door to freedom and I'll still be in prison. Do you know that there are so many people who are imprisoned by their past? They are imprisoned by their yesterday. And they are not moving in this world. They are not moving in life because they keep referring to the past. They keep referring to yesterday. Paul said something the other day. He said, this one thing I've learned to do, forgetting the mistakes, the errors, and the triumphs of yesterday. And he said, I press towards the mark of the high calling of Christ that is before me. Unless you give up the past, unless you stop talking about the past, unless you stop referring to the past, unless you stop reminding your husband and your wife and everybody about yesterday, you are a babe, you are not growing up, you are not maturing, and you never have the victory. You never move forward. You'll be a slave of your past. I pray that if you are a slave of your past, I declare you acquitted and discharged. Be released unconditionally from the pains and the bitterness of the past. Move on with your life. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the one that hurt you to die. That's what unforgiveness is. You're taking the poison and you're expecting the one that hurt you to die. Why is you taking the poison? You got to let it go. You can't dwell on it. Go ahead. To seek the Lord for our for little our, one. For, for the right little. way. And all our possessions. Possessions. For I was ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road. Because we have spoken to the king saying, The hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek him. But his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him. So we fasted and entreated our God for this. And he answered our prayer. He did answer. God answers prayer. But he said, you must have fasting. That after you've done all that you know how to, add fasting to it. And when you fast one or two times, don't just believe that after fasting one or two times, things have to turn around immediately. Don't have that kind of attitude. I was saying in the first service when I lived in America for eight years, after some adversities of my life, I moved to America and I stayed there for eight years. Those were very trying times in my life, very difficult times in my life. And I decided I was going to embark on fasting and live a fasting life. And so week after week, I fasted every week. I took a day or two and fasted, sometimes three days. And I traveled all across the United States of America, preached in mega, mega, mega churches all over the place. And the Lord was faithful. He kept me and the family throughout those trying and difficult times. I, I looked up to him and I said, my eyes are upon you. Remember, Lord, that I come from the jungles of Africa. It takes so many hours for me to get back to where I come from. Remember me for good. Remember my children for good, Lord. Forsake me not in this strange land. Be with me. Help me, Lord. Guide me. Be my shield. And he kept me. And he showed me great favor. And after eight years, he brought me back home. Better than before. Hallelujah. So this secret weapon works. Put your hands together. Thank God for this secret weapon. 
But remember, remember what, remember what Ezra said. The Bible said, and we sought the Lord for what? The right way. The right way. There's a wrong way and there's a right way. And as God blesses us and favors us in life, you and I must always remember that it is never about you and I. It's always about him. It's always about him. We must never forget that. Because in life, sometimes when we are blessed, we begin to take credit for what God has done. We begin to have this mentality and attitude as if we deserve it. You don't deserve anything. I don't deserve anything. It's just by the act of God's grace and mercy. For it is not him that willeth, nor him that runneth, but God that showeth mercy. I will have mercy on whom I will, for a man can receive nothing except it is given to him from above. What have you that you did not receive it? Why then do you act as if you did not receive it? Don't tell me about the school you went to, and don't tell me about your discipline. Don't tell me about how hard you work. Don't tell me about your principles, because there are people that are more principled about you than you, people who work harder than you, people who have been to better schools than you. And don't have what you have. It's just the act of God's mercy. And so remember God. Deuteronomy 8.18. Remember that it is God that has given you that favor, that advantage over others. Stop taking credit for God's act of mercy and grace in your life. Stop being arrogant. Stop thinking that you're better than others. You ain't better than anybody. It's God that I've just shown you mercy. So learn to give God credit. Learn to acknowledge God as your source. Hallelujah. It's a good place to put your hands together. I think so. And there's a reason, you see, that he may establish his covenant even as he swore unto your fathers. Amen? Even as he promised your fathers until this day. And so there's a reason why you are blessed. Joseph, when his brothers came to Egypt to buy food, they didn't realize that it was Joseph. And when he revealed himself to them that I am Joseph whom you betrayed and sold into slavery, they were very worried. They were afraid and they believed that it was time to pay back. It was payday. And Joseph said, don't worry about what you did. You meant it for evil, but God turned it for good. And I'm not going to use power and access and wealth and influence against you, but I'll use it for good. Hear me. Power is not to do evil. Power is not to scorn. Settle scores with people who hurt you and offended you. Wealth and money is not given to you to settle scores. It is given to do good. So do good. Do good. Do right by others and by the work of God. Because there will come a day in your time when you realize that power has an expiry date. And that money and influence has an expiry date. And the only thing that stands for you will be goodwill. The only thing that will work for you is how you handle people, how you treated people. When you had power, when you had influence, when you had access, when you had money, what you did with it, how you treated people has a lot to do with whether you will survive or not in the day of your adversity. The Bible said, put on the whole armor of God that ye might be able to stand in the evil day. An evil day is a time where we are all tested and tried. Where your faith is tested. And whether you will stand in an evil day or not has everything to do with when you come into power, into wealth, into money, how you treat people. And that is a key thing. You know, every now and then I try to go and visit President Kufour. And... When you see him, you visit him in his house, the man is void of arrogance. There's no bitterness in him. There's no hatred in him. He's full of gratitude. And he will share with you some of the things he did for the good of this country. And you sit there and you can feel from his heart that this is a father. 
And this is a man who loved Ghana and wished this country well. And the only reason why I love him and I always go check on him and visit him is because when he had power, he didn't use power to hurt others. He didn't use power to kill. He didn't use power to destroy. He used it for good. He did right by others. He did right by others. And that is a very powerful thing. It's a very powerful thing. We must never forget the good that people do. And for those in power and for those with influence, money, and access, please do good and please do right by others. Because wealth, money, influence has an expiry date. During the time of the pandemic, we saw on social media how people in Italy were throwing money away on the streets and nobody would steal and pick those monies. Because it came to a time when men and women realized that money has limitation and that with all the monies they have, they could not breathe. They cried, can't breathe, can't breathe, can't breathe. And money was silenced on that day and money couldn't deliver and money could not talk on that day. Then they realized that all is vanity. I pray that in the time of your elevation, when it is well with you, that you will still be a human being. You still maintain the common touch. <clears throat> and that is very, very important. I wish I could mention everybody's name, but there are so many people that I wish I could mention their name, that I've watched them over the years with power, with wealth, with influence at the marketplace, in politics, other things that have always maintained the common touch. And that is what attracts me to certain people and makes it very difficult for me to walk away from people that have learned to treat human beings as human. Please deal with people as human, no matter who you become. And if you don't know, check the Saddams who find themselves in a hole with money that couldn't deliver them. And the Gaddafis in a hole loaded, deep packet with brilliance who could not help them. Please be humble. Don't be too arrogant. Don't begin to have issues with the church and leadership because you are in a good place. Don't do it. Because you can lose whatever position you find yourself in. You can lose whatever connection you have today. It doesn't matter. The properties you have, the investments you've made, it's just a matter of time. Time changes. So be humble. Let's go ahead quickly, please. Come with me to, we've seen Ezra, 2 Chronicles 22 to 4. 2 Chronicles 22 to 4. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side Syria. And behold, they be in Hazazon Tamar, which is Engedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. You see, and if you look at the scripture as we go along, you realize that as a result of the proclamation of the fast, seeking God and saying, God, this army is too strong for us. You know, there come a time in all of our lives, every now and then, when you face situations where your life is literally threatened. And sometimes you find yourself facing adversities of life. Life-threatening situations. It is in those moments and times that you must abstain from food. And proclaim a fast. And come before God and say, Heavenly Father, this is above my strength. It's above my intellectual capability, skills, and experience. I need you, Lord. I need you to step in the equation. I need a 
turn around of this situation. And you must be very deliberate about it and very sincere and honest with God. It's at that moment that Almighty God shows up and said, I will come to your aid. Because you have declared your need of me, I'm a master of fixing situations. But as long as we think we are believers and we have all the answers, he holds back. But if we will proclaim a fast, not just a national fast or when the church declares a fast, but individually, it will become a lifestyle. A day in the week that you fast, not only because there is crisis, because there is a time in all of our lives that we must fast to just worship him, not because we need anything. It's also very powerful. Where people fasted and just worship God. And as a result of that, God responded and gave direction. That is a good place to clap your hands. Can you imagine the kind of church we'll have if everyone hearing the sound of my voice online and in the house takes a day in a week to fast? Just come before God. And that every week somebody is fasting, somebody is praying, somebody is coming before the Lord on the behalf of the families, the tribes, the church, country. God will do mind-blowing things. And I think we should do it. Put your hands together. Let's thank God for that. When they fasted and they prayed, God decided to send confusion among their enemies. And the enemies that came against Israel, they turned on one another and destroyed themselves. Today, I make a decree by divine authority. From the throne room perspective, from where all authority over heaven and earth is derived, let there be confusion in the camps of our enemies. Let their tongues be divided. Let their ranks be broken. Let them turn on one another. In the name of Jesus, put your hands together. Say yes. First Kings chapter 21 from verse 23 to 6. And of Jezebel also spake the Lord saying, The dogs shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Him that dieth of Ahab in the city the dog shall eat. And him that dieth in the field shall the fowls of the air eat. But there was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel his wife stirred up. And he did very abominably in following idols, according to all things, as did the Amorites, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. And it came to pass, when Ahab heard those words, that he rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his flesh, and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went softly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Seest thou how Ahab humbleth himself before me? Because he humbleth himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but in his son's days will I bring the evil upon his house. So it, it was very clear God had determined uh, the outcome of the life of Ahab and his wife, Jezebel. The verdict was determined of what shall become of Ahab and of Jezebel the wife. Jezebel was very arrogant and prideful, decided that she wasn't going to humble herself. And when Ahab had the verdict, he decided to humble himself through fasting. And he fasted and prayed. And though he had done evil than any king of Israel, before God, provoke God by the provocation of his wife. The wife provoked him. I was telling a son the other day, I said, let me tell you, son, anytime you are triggered, anytime you are provoked, try not to react. Because most times, the enemy can trigger you and provoke you to say something, to do something, to ensnare you and to trap you and set you up. And it's a temptation we all face and go through as leaders. That every now and then, you find yourself in a situation where you are provoked, triggered to say something, make statements that are unnecessary, that will become a trap and a snare to you in the future. And I pray that the moment in your life that you are triggered and provoked, that you won't err, that you will not sin. Say amen. 
And so Ahab fasted. Humbled himself through fasting. And the Lord saw what he did. And said, the evil verdict that I had determined to come upon Ahab, I would avert it and wait for the time of his sons. And, and that was another mistake Ahab did because he should have interceded for his sons. He should have interceded. And that was one thing David did for Solomon. He prayed for Solomon. And he said, let Solomon have dominion from coast to coast. And he said, let prayers and intercession go up before God for him day and night. And let the gold of Sheba be given unto Solomon, my son. He interceded for his children. And that is one of the things that is required of us fathers and parents. That irrespective of what our children do, that we owe it to God and to eternity and posterity and to history. To intercede for them and to pray for them and not to curse them. But Ahab was just interested in his time. And he didn't care about generations yet unborn. And I believe that if we've ever needed leaders who love country and love generations yet unborn, it's now. We need leaders who have a heart, a vision for country and for future generations that will do things for the benefit of generations yet unborn. Like the Kwame Nkrumahs who built the motorway, Kotoka International Airport, and so many things, Akosombo, and many things they did that is still speaking today. And so many other presidents have come and gone, and they have also done the best required and expected of them. And posterity and history shall remember them. And that is what life is all about. When we talk about Nelson Mandela, it has to do with the fact that the man was selfless. He was a visionary. He cared for South Africa and for the nations of Africa and the world. And since he left the scene, no one else has been able to match him. How I pray that in your day and in my time, that God will raise up leaders who have love for God and for country and will do things for the benefit of generations yet unborn. Please put your hands together and say yes. Hallelujah. Look at Jonah. Jonah 3, 5 to 9. Jonah, the third chapter, from the fifth verse to the ninth verse. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, head nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that, he, that we perish not? And it is said by historians that as a result of the fast that was proclaimed by the king in Nineveh, that God spared Nineveh for 100 years. Judgment was withheld over Nineveh for that act of fasting. But he said deliberate thing. It has to be deliberate. You must do it with understanding. It must be very clear. You must be very sure about what you are doing. And you, you have to stop thinking about the time and food and everything. You give God an undivided attention and say, God, I need you to come through for me in this situation. I've done everything I know how to. I need your intervention. Without you, I don't have a solution to this matter. My eyes are on you. This situation is on your hands, and I look up to you. Fasting is a secret weapon that works when we do it with clarity, understanding, and when we do it right. Put your hands together. Say amen. Let me show you one more scripture. 
Leviticus 16, 29, the day of atonement. Leviticus. And this shall be a statute forever unto you, that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether it be one of your own country or a stranger that sojourneth among you. So this is what we call the day of atonement, Yom Kippur. And it's been maintained and observed by the Jewish people for 3,500 years, the day of atonement, where they fast and put everything aside and they seek God and they give him an undivided attention. Please have a day in the week. Have a day of atonement where you give to God an undivided attention, not being distracted by too many things and come before him on that day and say, Lord, how I need you. I acknowledge you, Lord, as my source. I can't do without you. You brought me that far. And I will not take credit for where I am and for what I do and for what I am. Not by might, nor by power. It's not about how disciplined principle or how hard I work. Hear me. Listen, I told one of my sons the other day, I said, son, when it comes to making it beyond natural capabilities, it has nothing to do with your experience, how hard you work, and how knowledgeable you are. It has everything to do with whom God has favored. There were better people in Egypt than Joseph. God favored Joseph. I pray that from today, as you begin to deploy this secret weapon of fasting, that God will begin to favor you beyond your wildest dream. Come on, say yes, somebody. There's something about deploying this secret weapon of fasting, abstaining from food. And I'm telling you, the flesh is very, very, very strong. And the soul is very prideful and arrogant. I eat once a day. And I have to really fight my flesh to come to that place of eating once a day. I have to fight my flesh. And I have to discipline my flesh. And it will demand some food. And there are some food I really like. An ice cream. Vanilla ice cream. Strawberry ice cream with custard. Mixed together. The thing is sweet. And I have to tell myself, ice cream, you don't have power over me. I renounce you by the power of Jesus' name. There was a time I was watching a movie. It's a very, very powerful movie. I think they call it 48 or something. I can't remember. And this movie was very powerful. It, I, I, I was lying on my bed and I'll move to the edge of my bed. And I can go on watching this movie for two, three days. Just there, shower, come back, eat, start, and I'll be watching. It holds you at ransom. It never ends. So you want to know what happened, what happened, and it keeps moving. And then one day I realized that, hey, what's up? You are, you are backsliding. You know? I don't pick my phone. My wife will travel, she will call me, and I won't pick the phone. And then I'll call later and say, What's doing? And I said, This movie, she said, What's going on with you and this movie? What kind of a movie it is? And then suddenly I woke up and I realized that, you know something? I've become a slave. Seriously. And I realized this thing is exercising power over me. I won't come to the office. I'll just tell the office, I'll, I'll talk to you later. Whatever it is, you handle it. And then I realized that it has become a major distraction. And if I'm not careful, it will become a thorn in my flesh. Because when I'm on board aircraft, I want to see if that movie is there. I want to watch the, the part that I haven't watched. I go to hotels and I realize, mm, 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 mm. this thing is too powerful. So one day I stood up and I removed the DVD. I removed the, the DVD out of the system. And I said, in the name of Jesus. By the power of Jesus' name, I break the spell, the bewitchment, and your power over me. I'm redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I put it right there before my bed. 
Up to today, I never watched it again. <laughs> Hear me? As simple as that thing may be, it had me. And as a believer, nothing must have you but God. Nothing. Nothing must have power over you. I switched it off. And after I did that, I felt so free. And I see it all the time there. I didn't throw it away. I put it there. I said, I will show you by the grace of God that I'm redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You have no power over me. I know I'm speaking to angels. Nobody here has been tempted by anything. I'm the only sinner among you. It's fine. All of you are angels. But every one of you has something you are struggling with. So don't look at me with that strange angelic look. Come on, put your hands together. Give God praise. Let me, let me give you, let me show you something that happened during our time, not just in the Bible days, of kings of our world who face situations and crises, life-threatening situations, national crises, and they realize that they needed more than intellectual capabilities. That they needed God's intervention. That their national security and their armed forces can handle it. Like Queen Elizabeth of Scotland said in the 18th century. She said, I am not afraid of all the armies of Europe put together, but I am afraid of the prayers of John Knox. And John Knox prayed and said, give me Scotland or I die. I pray that God will raise up men and women in this country that will say, give me Ghana or I die. Give me Africa or I die. Let that cry be in our heart. That there will be no day in your life that you wake up and you breathe the breath of Almighty God without saying a prayer for your country. Come with me. I want to show you something about the king of Britain and some of the presidents of the United States. And whether they were believers or unbelievers is another matter to deal with another time. But it was believed that some of these kings and people and presidents were not even born again. But they acknowledged the power of this secret weapon and they deployed it in the times of danger and crisis and God came through for them. Come with me. Look at King George VI. In the 1940s. These were first things that were de deployed and declared by presidents and leaders of nations to over 10 national family and health crises. Mm -hmm. His Majesty King George the Sith of the United Kingdom mm -hmm. declared a fast on the 26th of May 1940 when Britain was at war with Germany and they call it the miracle of Dunkirk mm -hmm. where God intervened and gave them a miraculous escape. Another one. Then Sunday, the 8th of September, 1940, mm -hmm. again he declared a fast and the Royal Air Force prevailed over Germany. There was, there was a battle between Germany and Britain. The Battle of Dunkirk, there was a man by the name of Rhys Howells. Rhys Howells was called the great intercessor. He wasn't a prophet, he wasn't a pastor, he was just an intercessor. He fasted, he prayed for country. And he told Winston Churchill, the Prime Minister of Britain in those days, that Britain would not be invaded. And when Britain was invaded, when the invasion of Britain began, he said, Lord, I have told the Prime Minister that Britain would not be invaded. And the Lord said, Rhys Howells, what do you want? He said, I want the invasion of Britain to be aborted. Oh, that God will raise intercession for countries that will be the men and the women who determines the outcome of circumstances and events in country. And God said, what do you want? And he said, send the troops of Hitler to Russia. And the Lord said, to Russia shall they go. In the matters of days, a new instruction came to Hitler troops about the invasion of Britain, attack Russia. It was a result of the prayers of Rhys Howells. Then there was another fight 
at a place called Dunkirk, the miracle of Dunkirk, when Rhys Howard kept saying that I have a deep feeling that the British troops are in danger. Something is not right and I can feel it in the inside. I don't see nothing, but I know that something is not right with our truth. I sense danger with our troops. The media in the 40s said everything was okay. And then suddenly they found out that the British troops, over 300,000, were surrounded at the Battle of Dunkirk by Hitler's troops. And as a result of Rhys Howard's prayers and the fast that was declared by the then king of Britain, whether he was born again or not is another matter, but he deployed this secret weapon of fasting. The ties turn, the tables turn in favor of Britain. And suddenly God did something with the weather that when Hitler's troops were coming at Britain to bomb Britain, with their jets, the weather was bad and terrible that they couldn't break through the weather and he gave Britain the upper hand. And the then king said that by some divine providence, God gave Britain the upper hand. Oh, that God will raise up leaders in our time and in our day who will recognize their shortcomings. And we recognize when intellectual capabilities and scientific skills and insight is exhausted, that there come a moment and a time when we turn to the God factor of governance of country. When we realize that there is one that is above all who created the heavens and the earth. When we realize that the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof and all them that dwell therein and that God is the governor among the nation. Oh, that God may give us leaders with humility who will acknowledge almighty God that though they might be mighty, there is the almighty. Are you hearing me, somebody? Say yes. Look at some of the presidents of the United States. Whether they were born again or not born again, look at their acts, deeds. And look at the decision they took. In times of national crisis, danger and trouble, come with me, ladies and gentlemen, as we travel this path. Those of you online, don't go away. Stay with me. President George Washington, on June the 1st, 1774, proclaimed the national fast. When British, British Parliament had declared an embargo on the ports of Boston, mm -hmm. and God gave him an upper hand. If you study history, you will see that the embargo was lifted after the fast. Next. President John Adams declared a fast on the 9th of May, 1798, mm -hmm. when the U.S. forces were in battle with France, and God mm -hmm. gave them an upper hand. Study history, you see it. Look at the dates. Go online, Google, check, you will see President James Madison on January the 12th, 1815, declared a fast for the safety of the U.S. when they were at war with Britain. You see, these men, like somebody asked me, were they born again? I don't know. I can't tell. But they deployed this secret weapon. They realized that this weapon works. That if you are believer, or a non-believer, and you plant a seed and it rains, the rain and the water don't know the difference between a believer seed and a non-believer seed. It will water it anyway. And when harvest comes, the believer and the unbeliever that so will reap anyway. They recognize that this is a secret weapon that God has made available to anyone that in the time of danger and trouble, when you deploy this weapon and fall upon it, God intervenes in the affairs of men and families and nation. Look at it. President Abraham Lincoln declared three fasts. Three fasts. And somebody said to me, he said, but Abraham Lincoln was not born again. I said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He recognized that this weapon works. And as a president, and one of the greatest of all time in the history of the United States of America, deployed this weapon in times of national crisis and storm. 
And it worked. Look at it. The first was on the last Thursday in September 1861 for the restoration of national peace and unity during a civil war. On the 30th of March 1863, he declared another fast. You know why he kept declaring another fast? Because he realized that it works. Somebody say it works. It works when we do it right. When we are deliberate about it. When we have clarity and understanding, it works. The first time he declared it, and it worked. Then he declared it again. Go ahead. He declared the reason for the, the 1863 fast mm -hmm. was that the people of the U.S. needed to repent as a country. And then the third There was, was a lot of arrogance and bitterness. As a result of the Civil War, bitterness, arrogance, unforgiveness, stubbornness, pride, hatred for one another. And it was too much. And the president declared that we need to repent as a people, a country, and a nation. We need to turn back to God, humble ourselves through fasting, and stop all this arrogance. In the last few months, from the ages of 30 to 50, so many young Men and women have died. Some in their sleep. Some just fell and died. What are you arrogant about? Why are you so prideful? What is it about you? What is it that you have? Even people like the Gaddafis and the Saddams who are sitting on billions of dollars and sitting pretty They've died and gone and left it all. What is it that you have that makes you so prideful and arrogant? What is it that you have accomplished? It is only people from a very poor background who have never seen snow before that celebrate snow when they see snow. But there must come a time when we stop all these pettiness and pride and arrogance because of some little accomplishment you have. Because of some access and connection, take it easy. Treat men as men. Maintain the common touch. Do others right. Do good by others. Because there will come a time when the only thing that speaks for you is the good you did by God, his church, and by others. Go ahead. The third was on the first Thursday in August 1864. He did another one again, the third time. And the reason for unity for all who were in authority. There was too much strife in those days according to history. Fightings, conflicts among leaders. And he proclaimed another fast and said we need to humble ourselves as leaders. These fights and conflict is too much. We must come together. We must reconcile. Today as a country and a nation, we are facing challenges. Situation like what happened in those days. How I pray that our leaders will recognize the need of humility through fasting, to humble ourselves, pray for unity between government and the opposition in parliament on both sides of the aisle. That unity will come, that there will be dialogue, that there will be reconciliation. I was telling one of my sons the other day, I said the reason for the wars across the nation is because everybody is right. And when everybody is right, there'll never be peace. Because you can insist on your rights and lose your peace. Or you can let your right and pride go and maintain peace. I pray that there'll be unity among our leaders. And that those who have power who recognize the need of others when they are power, that someone else will come one day and how you treat others when you have power, influence, and money goes a long way to determine how you are treated when you don't have it anymore. May we remember that whatever we have and we own is not forever. For the grass withered, the flower faded, but the word of our God shall stand forever. It's only God's word that stands forever. Everything comes and goes. We know you are blessed by that word of God. 
and look forward to you joining the messages of the Archbishop Nicholas Duncan Williams again. For more information on our events, books, and messages, please visit NDW Ministries online at www.ndwministries.org or call our offices on plus one eight seven seven three six one five one 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 once again thank you for joining the archbishop today and may you continue to experience the life transforming power of god's blessings <laughs>